Good morning, fellowship. We are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Later in the service, you'll hear instructions of what it means to engage in our live platform online. We're so glad that you're here and we cannot wait to worship with you in person. We invite you wherever you're at to worship through song with us as we sing about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he has done. We believe he has done great things. So join with us and sing. worship our King. Come let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. And see what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. Yes, He has. He has done great things. Hero. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great
Hello, Fellowship family. The elders have determined that we will open our campuses to services on Labor Day weekend, September 4th through 6th. Since the middle of March, you have been incredibly patient, encouraging, generous, and understanding during this most difficult worldwide crisis. We know it isn't over, but as hospitalizations began to decline in Northwest Arkansas recently, the elders decided we could safely open our doors again with some restrictions in place. Remember, our buildings were closed, but you, the church, never skipped a beat in being the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus in our region. In a few moments, our congregational leaders will share plans and instructions for those who wish to attend services in the coming weeks. As good neighbors, we will cooperate with state and local officials and follow CDC guidelines for the protection of all. We know that some of you won't feel comfortable attending services yet, and that's okay. Others have underlying health issues that require staying home out of necessity. Well, rest assured, we are now capable of live streaming our services each week, and we will do our best to serve you well. Never forget, God is in control. Bless you all. Well, hey, Fellowship Rogers, big news today. On September 6th, we are going to reopen for live in-person services on Pleasant Grove Road. We are so excited to see you again. It's been so long, and I want to give you some details about that. First thing, hey, if you don't feel comfortable returning to a large group gathering space right now, or if you're in a vulnerable position or don't feel like that it's safe for you to be exposed, we're not asking you to come. We'll still deliver our middle service. We'll have services at 8, 9.30, and 11. Uh, we'll live stream that 9.30 service, and you can participate with us just like you're doing now from home. Uh, other details for those of you who plan to come. First, we'll be practicing CDC safety guidelines. So that means we'll have every other row seating with six feet of social distance in between each family unit. We will ask that you wear a mask the entire time that you're in the building. And in this first phase, we won't be offering children's ministry or student ministry. We'll all be in the worship center together. And so you'll be able to sign up to come to the service through an online portal. This week, we'll be releasing more details about all that is entailed with uh, coming back to in-person services. Um, but I do want you to know that we'll continue to live stream uh, from now on, and you'll be able to participate that way. Hey, welcome to our worship service this morning. Good morning, Christy. Hey, Sam. I'm Sam Hannon. I'm the congregational leader here at Fellowship Rogers. This is Christy Morris, and she works with Rogers Community Ministry. Thank you for joining us in our, our live service. For those of you who are at live.fellowshiprogers.org, you'll note a few features. First, you can participate in the chat room. Treat it like the foyer and say hello to people. You'll also see our hosts posting links to various things there for you to follow up on ministry-specific details. And you can request prayer and you can see pastor's notes in the portal. So we're glad that you're here. If you're watching later on in the week, we're glad you're here as well. We got a lot going on at Fellowship, Christy. We do. Before we get started with that, if you are new to Fellowship or new to our streaming services and want to know a little bit more information about what ministry opportunities opportunities we have here for you this fall. We're going to make it really easy for you to get involved in that. Take out your smartphone, open up your camera app, and you can just hover it over this QR code that's right here on your screen right now. 
it will send you to a link on our website where you can enter in your contact information and then someone will get back with you. You could also just go to our website at fellowshiprogers.org slash I'm new. Yeah, go to the website. You can also go there to sign up for a small group. Don't forget, Fellowship Bible Church is a church of small groups. We're not just a church with small groups. So if you're a part of our ministry, then we expect you to. We desire deeply for you to be involved in one of our community groups. And this fall, we're doing something a little different. We're calling them circles of six. And so the idea is to make all of our groups smaller uh, with four simple commitments. And we're trying to make them easily attainable for everyone to participate. And so we want you in a small group. And so you can go to our website. There's a button there that says, join a small group and we will follow up with you. We want to get to know you and get to care for you and help you grow in Christ. Yeah. And ladies, I just wanted to remind you, hopefully you've heard this a little bit. Just want to bring it to you again. Our Women's Porch Retreat is coming up very soon. It's September 25th and 26th. So we're going to gather for uh, Friday night. And then we're going to come back together on Saturday morning. And so we're going to gather on porches and on patios with smaller groups of women and just really engage in the Word and with each other. I think it's going to be amazing time. So go to our website. Registration is open and live right now. And um, we really, really hope to see you there. Sounds like a good time. So... So could I come to the uh, women's porch uh, retreat? No, no, sorry. Okay. So September 26th, you're telling me that my wife will be out of the home. Yeah. So I could watch the Arkansas-Georgia game and have the guys over. Sure. That'd yes, be great. I think That'd you be should. great. Ladies, <laughs> sign up for that retreat. Hey, tomorrow is a big day here in Northwest Arkansas. Some of our schools have already started, but the majority of our schools start tomorrow. And guys, we need to pray. We need to pray for our teachers, for our administrators for our coaches. We need to pray for parents and students who have a lot of anxiety about going back to school during a pandemic. And so we wanna call the whole church to prayer today for our public schools and teachers, administrators, coaches, I want you to hear me. One of the reasons why Northwest Arkansas is such a special place to live is because of you. And we appreciate all that you do for our kids. And we know that you are under a lot of stress right now in trying to deliver education and care for our children. Our school boards have had to make some really tough decisions and um, it's all gonna start tomorrow. So we want to call you to prayer and we're doing that in a formal way today. Yeah, we are. We are doing a prayer drive. And so we really wanna challenge you and your family Jump in the car today and drive around your city and pray for your community. It'll be really fun. It'll be a really great thing for you guys to do because we know that prayer is powerful. And there's no other time than right now to really pray for our schools, our churches, our government officials, and our, our healthcare workers. So you can get some more information at fellowshiprogers.org. Hit that family resources button and you can access that prayer guide there. Yeah, I printed off the prayer guide this morning, uh, ready to take my family out on a drive. And when we say prayer drive, we literally mean drive around and pray, right? Yes, we do. Yeah, so do it with your eyes open if you're the driver, but we want you to pray all over Northwest Arkansas, over every school, every city hall, um, every neighborhood today. And so join us in that. And let me pray for us right now. I wanna pray for our teachers, administrators, coaches, students, parents. Would you join me in prayer? Well, Lord, we know that you are sovereign. Lord, we know that you hear our words and you see our hearts. So right now, 
we come to you and we pray for our teachers. We thank you for the service that they provide for our families in Northwest Arkansas. Lord, they're so valuable to us. Lord, we pray for our administrators who are under a lot of pressure and stress. We pray for our coaches who are trying to keep our athletes safe. Lord, we pray for our parents and students, all of them returning to the campus tomorrow. We pray for a safe environment. We pray for effective instruction. And we pray that you would protect and cover our schools here in Northwest Arkansas. Lord, we lift them up to you. And Lord, now as we come to you to worship through song and prayer, through giving and teaching, we pray that you would move in our hearts. Oh, we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue in that attitude of prayer and worship, which is our response to the revelation, the one true God. So as we sing the gospel, as we sing what we believe as a church, we are unified in that. And we're reminded of all that Christ has done for us. So join us. Sing this truth. Remind your heart. Ask God, would you tune my heart to your truth? Would you tune my heart to sing your praise? Our Father everlasting, the all-creating God Almighty, through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior, I believe, I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. We believe. Judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light. Forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. 
I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. Breathe. 
resurrection we remember that we share in that power the same power that rose Christ from the grave lives within us so may we walk by that spirit may that spirit lead our hearts to praise our Savior to sing hallelujah praise his name sing that with us one more time and hallelujah praise the set me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name Jesus Christ my living hope Jesus Christ Thank you for that truth. We 
thank you for that reminder. And last week, as we got to observe communion, remember the body that was broken for us and the blood poured out. God, may that remembrance lead to worship. So now as we approach your word, God, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would change our lives, that you'd mold us into the image of your son, Jesus. So we open up our heart to you. Do what only you can in this place and have your way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This summer, our son Max came to us wanting to watch the Harry Potter series of movies. And in case you're not familiar with it, it's a wildly popular uh, series of movies and books and and just really popular with kids these days and have been around for a while now. And so our daughter, Kate, who loves uh, a good story, who loves a good book, she's an avid reader. She's, She's probably read 30 plus books during quarantine. I mean, she, she reads and reads and reads. I'm in seminary and I don't read as much as she does. And so she came to us, she kind of quickly jumped in. She said, he can't re- watch the movies until he reads the books. Now, the problem is this, Max doesn't really like to read and, and there are a number of books in the Harry Potter series. And I don't know about you, but, but and I read a lot, but I'm not sure I've ever read a book this thick. And so we had, a, we, had a, we had a problem on our hands, and so she jumped in and she said, hey, what about this? For every book that he reads, he gets to watch the movie. And we thought, well, that's fair, and so we did it. And, and my question for you is this, what compels a boy who doesn't really like to read to, to read this whole set of books in a matter of three months in the summertime? He just finished the last book. And, and I, would, I would propose this to you. I think it is the power of story. You see, we're created by God to love story. It's the reason we love going to the movies. You remember the movies, the theater? You remember paying that much for a ticket? And the reason we we love to go to the movies, I love the popcorn, I love the candy, but what what draws us there is this story, this opportunity to get get lost in the story for a couple hours. Um, This love for story is what what, uh, encourages us to sit down with a good book, or uh, it's the reason Broadway is so popular, that we are created by God to love story. We love it. As Christ followers, we love a good life change story. Whenever we lead a community group, Sherry and I, we always, at the beginning of it, we always have everyone in the group share their story and, and look for that life change opportunity, but it helps us know about each other and it helps us see where people are and, and, and what they believe and, and what they've experienced. Well, in our passage today, Acts chapter 16, we will see three people. We're going to see three stories. It's a businesswoman, a young girl, and a prison guard. And in some cases, their whole, life, their whole household experience life change. Or at least two of them where they're, 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 they're gospel, the gospel story and their story intersect in a very powerful way. And you'll see that they're, they're probably never going to be the same again. 
You see, in life, where our life story intersects the gospel story, right in that place is where life change happens. And at Fellowship, we love to experience that. Well, students, if you are a Harry, whether you're a Harry Potter fan or not, <clears throat> I want to challenge you to do a couple things. After the service um, or, or whenever, you can process with your parents and tell them what, what's your favorite book you've ever read. And then, and then after our service, after we talk through these three stories, what I want you to do is I want you to process with your, your folks and, and tell them which of the people in our passage today do you um, think actually became believers in Jesus Christ and, and which of you, the stories was most compelling to you. But here's where we're going today. Here's the big idea. God uses ordinary people to share the gospel, to make disciples, and to plant churches. We're going to see that happen in our passage today, and we're going to, we're going to see that it still happens today. If we were to start our story, if, or if our story was going to be a, a storybook like one of these Harry Potter books, um, the, this first part would be the introduction. Matter of fact, we're going to start a little bit before our passage today, back in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, and it says this. Paul and his companions throughout, traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. You see, Paul and his companions, they were, they were traveling along, and I think I have a map for you, and if, and if you can see, there's a purple line of, of them traveling, and this was their second missionary journey, Paul's second missionary journey. And he was bringing news from the churches in Jerusalem, from the elders in Jerusalem. He, and he took it to Derby and then to Lystra where Timothy joined him and then on to Iconium. And the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter into Bithynia and, and, and north to the poor city. And so then they continued on to the port city of Troas. Picking up in verse nine, it says, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got up at once, ready to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so I think I've got a picture of, uh, or a map of, of Philippi, zoomed in on Philippi. And so Paul and his companions were on the, the coast at Troas, on the coast of the Aegean Sea, and they were, they, the God had guided them towards Philippi. They end up in the city of Philippi. And Philippi was an influential city. Um, it was a city of, uh, uh, where it's located in Macedonia, which is now modern-day Greece. It was heavily Roman. Lots of retired military uh, government officials would have been there. And so that, that kind of sets up our story for today. And that would be the introduction. So now we would be moving on into the first chapter of our storybook. And we pick up the story in verse 13 of Acts chapter 16. And it says this, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate, to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. You see, Paul's normal mode of operation was this. He would go to a city and he would, he would kind of spend some time. And on the Sabbath, he would go to the synagogue and he would teach. But in Philippi, it appears there was no synagogue at all because instead of going there, he goes to, out by the river to a group of ladies and he teaches he preaches because in order for a city to have a synagogue, there needed to be 10 Jewish males. And so apparently Philippi didn't have that. And Paul, you can see his heart. He wants to, he wants to see a church happen here in Philippi. 
but there was only a small group of ladies. Picking up the story in verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And here's what we see through Lydia. She's a, she's a godly businesswoman. If she would have lived in our time in NWA, um, she probably would have been a, a businesswoman here. She, she probably would have been a supplier to Walmart. She would have sold her goods. She would have owned her company. She was a very smart woman. She had wealth, a large house. Um, she had a household. Um, matter of fact, she had a large enough house that we'll see in just a moment. She invites Paul and his, his crew to come stay with her. But here's what we see through Lydia. Through Lydia, we see that the gospel is for the religious because Lydia believed in God. Uh, she had come from the Sea of Thyatira, and it, it was a, a, uh, uh, there's a strong Jewish population there. She probably learned about God, but she didn't know about Jesus. She had never heard the gospel of Jesus. And so you can almost imagine Paul sharing the gospel with her. You can almost imagine him telling about that God loved her so much that, that he sent his son to live perfectly and to suffer significantly and to die sacrificially and to rise gloriously. Then in verse 15, we see this. We see that when she and the members of her household were baptized, she, Luke says she, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So the Lord's opened Lydia's heart. She believes in Jesus. And then she invites Paul's group to her home. And when she first placed her faith and trust in Christ, we see that, that those from her household also believed and they were all baptized. And she, she displays this immediate life change quality of, of hospitality and she invites them all over. And what we learn from Lydia is the gospel is for the religious. She believed God, not only believed God, but she, she had not experienced saving faith yet because someone stepped out in faith and shared the good news. Lydia believed. You see, God uses ordinary people like you and like me. So what about an NWA? Do we have people like that? Are there people in your neighborhood or friend group or workplace who, who appear religious? They appear to have it all together, but maybe they don't know Jesus? Absolutely. This is Northwest Arkansas. We, most of us like to appear religious, don't we? And maybe what if we shared the gospel story with them? What if we shared our story with them. Now, you may be saying, well, John, I'm not sure what you mean when you talk about the gospel story. And I would just simply say this. There's a, there's a number of ways you can, you can uh, say it. But here's one we used at Fellowship. It's the good news of a holy God who saves sinful man through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that holy God saves sinful mankind, you and me, through his son, the sacrifice of his son through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Next chapter of the story, we move from Lydia to the young slave girl. See, Paul and his, his group keep encountering this young slave girl who's, who's possessed. And, and she kept following Paul and the group around. And, and she would say, she would state over and over that they were followers of the most high God. And at first appearance, we would think this might be helpful, but it's not at all. Actually, it's quite disrupting, and, and people were beginning to notice, and it was bothering Paul. And so we pick up the, the story in verse 18, and it says this, She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. 
Now, some believe that when she was stating that they were followers of the Most High God, that that was a statement of faith. And some believe that when the Spirit came out of her, that, they, that she, she believed. And I'm not sure we can really go that far. We don't really know about this young girl's heart change. We, we do know that oftentimes when Jesus did this in the gospel, that, that people's lives were radically changed, and we're not really sure what happened here, but it seems like something's starting to happen. It seems like through, through what Paul did that the path for believing in Jesus is paved. But here's what we know from, from here and in other parts of the scripture. The gospel is for the desperate and the dominated. The gospel is for those who are oppressed and in bondage. And, you know, you can almost imagine this, this new little forming church. You, you have Lydia and her household, and, and you, you're going to have some more people in just a minute, and this, this church starts to form. You can almost see them beginning to love on this young girl. When the owners realized that their hope of making money, money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs, which is unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. You see, the, the owners didn't really care about the girl. Matter of fact, they had made money for years and years off, off of all kinds of things. And one of those was she was able to predict the, often predict the future. This was really popular in Roman and in Greek culture, and, and they, had, they had used and abused her, and they didn't care about her. They just cared about their loss of ability to make money through her. And they brought, her, they brought Paul and Silas to the magistrates, and there was, there's typically two magistrates in every city or area, and they were in charge of keeping rule and making decisions, and, and the charges weren't fair against Paul and Silas. But here's what happened, is the wave of public opinion began to change. The cancel culture of this time, it made them want to be silent. We see in verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Falsely accused, severely beaten, with no trial, he puts them into the inner prison, the most secure place, the, the place where they put the hardened criminals. They, they put their feet in stocks and, and, and chains, and these stocks are designed at least for discomfort, but most likely for torture. So let me ask you a question. What if this happened to you? It's modern day year 2020, Northwest Arkansas, and, and what if for some reason, crazy reason, you were unjustly accused? What if you were wrongly beaten? What if you were put in jail? How would you respond? I know how I would respond. I, I, would, I would immediately try to get out. I would, I, would, I would shake my fist and scream at how wronged I would be. And I would call a lawyer or people of influence and say, get me out of this situation. I've been wronged. I would immediately try to get out of it. I don't know about you. Let's see their response. Next chapter of the storybook. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Now think about this for a minute. Think about their response. Instead of shaking their fists and demanding that they be released and they've been wrongly beaten and wrongly charged, 
Their response is simply this, praising and praying. That's all they're doing. And here's what I think. I think they knew that God was moving. He was at work. And, and, they, and, there's, and he, they put their mission or God's mission above their safety and comfort. You see, they remember that God had led them there. All three members of the Trinity had kept them from going north to Bithynia or south to Asia. You know, there's a saying out there that says, uh, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And I wonder what Paul and Silas would have said to that at this point, because they could have easily said, well, God, you didn't want us to go north and you didn't want us to go south. You led us right here. Why are we suffering? This doesn't feel right. This is not good. You see, I would propose to you that oftentimes the safest place is not to be in the center of God's will, but it's where we should be. Well, the, the story's just getting good. You know, when you're reading a good book and maybe it gets too late into the night and it's getting really, really good and you don't want to close it, but you should go to bed. Should we stop? No, we're going to keep reading. Next chapter. Chapter four of our storybook. We pick it up at the story in verse 26. Suddenly, there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Can you imagine can you imagine something that caused this? And they said that, that earthquakes were uh, often happening in this area. But imagine an earthquake that, that shakes the foundation of the prisons so much that the, the, the doors fling open and everyone's chains come loose. It almost, it almost sounds miraculous, doesn't it? We see in the next verse that not only is the gospel for the religious and not only is it for the, the dominated and the oppressed, but, but the gospel is also for the uninterested and unaware. You see, the gospel's for everyone. In verse 27, the jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Can you imagine the tension of the situation? This, this would be the climax of the story. You see, the, the jailer wakes up and you, you wonder, I don't, I don't even understand how he could sleep through an earthquake. Maybe he was knocked out, who knows? But he wakes up and he realizes that the, the prisoners have to be gone, that, that he's failed in his job. And, and, and to understand his job is to lose the prisoner means immediate death. And so he was gonna just take care of that for him. But Paul says, hey, don't do it, we're all here. And let's see the jailer's response. The jailer called for the lights. He rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas, he then brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, everyone probably thought he was uninterested or didn't care. But he was actually observing Paul and Silas. He had to be during this time. They, they thought he was, you know, he was working the night shift at the jail. It probably wasn't a great job. He was probably just trying to get through his shift so he'd get home. Who knows? Maybe there was something going on in his life that wasn't good. Maybe, maybe he had an addiction issue. Maybe he was just trying to make it home. So in that drink, it turned into three drinks or four drinks, or maybe his marriage wasn't good. We don't know what was going on to him, but he was paying attention. And he comes to them. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And look how they reply. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his household. You see, according to Paul and Silas, there's one single requirement for salvation. And that requirement is belief. Now, I would argue that it's not simple acknowledgement like you, you and I think about today. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. He's, yeah, he's out there somewhere. No, I think it's a, a true, humble, repentant belief or faith. But it, that's the single requirement is belief in God. And we see through this, through this jailer, through this prison guard, that the gospel is not only for the religious and it's not only for the, the desperate and dominated. The gospel is for all. It's for those who are, appear uninterested, and even unaware. You know, I have this illustration that I've heard over the years. It's not perfect, but I, I've always liked it, that if you imagine your life, and, and your life's represented by a car driving down a highway, and, and, and coming to faith in Christ is as simple as just pulling over the car of your life and stepping out of the driver's seat and going around the car and getting the passenger seat. And you literally let Jesus drive the car of your life. You're, you're saying that, that Jesus, you, God, you're more in control. You, you could control my life better than I can. And you, you, you humbly admit that you're better off in the passenger seat. It's kind of cheesy, but it, it, it reminds me of a Carrie Underwood song, Jesus, Take the Wheel, that you literally let him take the wheel of your life. Now, what happens in my life, I'm always trying to reach over from the passenger seat and oftentimes grab the wheel, but it's this simple, humble admission that it's better off for God to be in control than me to be in control. I want to take a moment and just get really blunt. I, I, I think it's worth doing to realize that watching this broadcast or watching this uh, simulcast or whatever, there's really two people, kinds of people out here. There are those who, who believe, like Paul and Silas talked about, and there are those who do not believe. There are those who have hope and peace, and joy on this earth, and, and eternity ahead of them in heaven with Jesus. And there are those who have no hope, and lack of peace, and false joy, and, etern- and are headed to eternal misery in hell. When it gets right down to it, there's a line drawn right down the middle, and there's two types of people. And I want you to process some point after this, this time today, where do I fit in this? And I'm not trying to cause doubt, but I'd like for you to think and process. And if you need someone to process with, I encourage you, uh, talk to the people you're watching this with, or you can hit that prayer request button. We'd love to, for you to hit that. And, and we've got some staff and volunteers standing by, and we would love to pray with you and possibly get a cup of coffee later or get you connected at church. But what we see in our passage today, in Acts chapter 16, we see that the, the gospel is for the religious, The gospel is for the desperate and dominated. The gospel is for those who seem uninterested or unaware. Are there those types of people in Northwest Arkansas? Absolutely. The gospel is for those people who appear to have it all together. For the people who appear to be in bondage, for suffering from addiction or maybe a bad behavior or a domination of another person. The gospel is for those who just, just act like they're not interested. The gospel is for everyone. We see in verse 31 and 32 that Paul and Silas tell, tell the jailer to, to believe in God. It's as simple as that. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. <clears throat> but look at verse 32. They say something interesting. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. I think that's so powerful as well. That's to the believer, I think. That, that our job, our role is to, to speak the word of the Lord to, to those around us. You see, 
Paul and Silas had a circle of six right there. Maybe it was only three, but it was going to grow to six. God uses ordinary people to share his gospel, his story, his message, to, to make disciples and to plant churches. This plays out over and over and over in life. Let's see how the jailer and his family respond. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and, and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Look at that. How amazing is that? How often do you think he's taken prisoners from the jail to his house? That had to be never. But he did it here. He, he took them to his house. He washed their wounds. They were baptized after they believed. And then he fed them. Incredible life change evidence. He was filled with joy and his household was filled with joy because they had believed in God. So how does this happen today in Northwest Arkansas? And I'll tell you this. It happens because God uses ordinary people, maybe a different, little different language, to tell his story. That's our role is to tell his story, maybe through telling our story. God uses ordinary people to tell his story, to help people grow spiritually and lead these little house churches that we call small groups. Fellowship, we can do it. We need to do it. This fall at Fellowship, like Sam said earlier, we're, we're using this idea of circles of six. We've realized we've got to go smaller in order to gather, and we want you to gather. And we're saying, hey, just make three commitments. Uh, just, just find some people, commit to studying the, the word and prayer together, to caring for one another, and just serving Northwest Arkansas and inviting others in. And then do it for a period of time, just this whole fall. Could you do that? Could you invite some people to your back patio or to your driveway and, and study it? Maybe you just read a book together. Maybe you study First Thessalonians, the last study in our Clarity series together. And just see what God does. Spend some time in prayer about this. We've got a video for you of one such family who did this. They processed through it. They, they wanted to gather together um, their current community group, but they couldn't gather because they were too large. And so they had the idea of breaking up um, and having the men and women meet on other nights. And then they want to invite others in as well. So I want you to introduce you to the Hobbs family. Watch this. Overall, it's, it's been, I think, a test of my patience. I think with just being at home and playing different roles, you know, trying to be efficient at work um, with four kids is challenging. Trying to steer my kids the right direction, trying to kind of play that role of church at home and, and leading our family, being a good spouse, all of those things seem to be right up in your face. Like we have so much together time that it almost exposes so many things about yourself where you could kind of hide those maybe in the busyness of life. What was good is that life just came to a screeching halt, which I feel like for a lot of families, including ours, it needed to. And that was really nice. It was so awesome. It has been really, I would say, over and abundantly better to have him home. So I would definitely say, I mean, for the first couple months of COVID, it was just us out here, we've got neighbor on property, so we have neighbors around us and we interacted with them. But besides that, we kind of didn't do a whole lot. So anyways, we decided once just the, the spring volatile weather months passed and things seemed to open up a little bit more in the beginning of May, we decided to do um, in-person 
guys nights and girls nights for community group just because we needed relationships we needed to kind of have debriefing sessions I feel like with people and we host back here on the back patio being able to be face to face with other women and we were safe we were outside on our back patio it was so nice and just the stories that kind of came from it the again we would ask sort of those high low like what's been good what's been bad and that can definitely change week to week yeah everyone I think started to get really hungry to get back together and figure out how we could make that happen. And so it came together really out of necessity. I think people needed that for therapy <laughs> and we, we certainly did. Um, and so it really happened naturally and we really just were like, hey, let's, let's get together. We don't need to do a Bible study. That's gonna come into it, but it became more of just, let's try to sharpen each other with what's going on in our current situations. And I think it's our natural human instinct that whenever things get hard, we kind of want to, we kind of want to pull back from people. We want to act like we're okay. And we want to isolate because it's hard to let people know you're struggling or let people know that you're having a hard time. And so I think that COVID brought, has brought that out in a lot of people, sort of the isolation tendency or maybe I'm the only one that feels this way. So having a regular meeting where it was, you know, guys night every other week and then the girls nights on those off ones gave us at least a once every two week where we get together and we talked for, you know, three hours plus and processed fun things and deep things. And, um, and again, we kept it intentionally guys and girls. I think I'm gonna look at myself and be like, what did I, what did I do? when it got hard or what what did my kids see? You know, like, did I slack off on Sundays? And like, I need to go get this stuff done. I could totally go mow the lawn or get this done on Sunday instead of do church. Like, how, how are they gonna reflect on it too and how I responded to it? So I think about that a lot. And maybe like, what are those opportunities that, that could happen in this unique circumstance that I'm not seeing? And so I, I guess I would say, um, Ask yourself that question when you look back on your time, your COVID time, how did you take advantage of what just happened? Because we don't know if it's, you know, if it'll happen again or if it'll look the same. And so that's the simple question I think I would ask. Well, Austin, Austin and Molly, they get it. They, they get that God uses ordinary people like you and like me to tell his story and to help others grow spiritually and to, and to help folks lead small groups. Well, we, we've heard about Lydia, and if you understand the gospel is for the religious, we've heard about the, the young girl, the slave girl. We see that the gospel is for the desperate and dominated, and we've, we've heard about the jailer's life and that the gospel is for those who appear to be uninterested or unaware. And we've made it all the way through the book, and it feels like we've read our last chapter, if this, if this Acts 16 was a, was a storybook of its own. But there's an epilogue to this, and I want to I read this for you. Picking up the, in verse 35, it says this. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens, they threw us into prison. And now, do they want us to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. 
The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they had heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Paul and Silas had placed God's mission over their their punishment. He, they had placed the, the citizenship of someone in heaven over their Roman citizen rights, but then they bring it up here. It's kind of interesting. It, it almost looks like Paul's trying to get revenge, but I don't think he is. I think he's trying to bring credit to this young church that's being started. I think he's trying to bring uh, credit to himself so, he, so it doesn't look like they're just this renegade bunch. But what's interesting here is that last verse. He says, before they left town, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters. You see, the house church was forming. It's the church that you and I hear about in Philippians. And then they left. So this same God who, who works in people today, and people back then in the first century works today. He still uses ordinary people like you and like me, just like he did with Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. And then he did with the church, with Lydia and the jailer. The same thing he did back then, he, he does today. See, God uses ordinary people like you and like me to change the area, to start small groups, to start churches. Fellowship, would you be a part of it? We would love to help you start a circle of six. And it's as simple as just inviting some people to join you. We would love to help you do this. God bless you, church. Have a great week.